Hey, church family, I am so excited to be with you today. Um, this is a great weekend um, because of multiple things. Number one, um, you are tuning in, and I am trying to tune in to Jesus and what he wants to say to us. And we're doing our first um, live, in-person, outdoor service. If you're watching this, uh, then you've decided that uh, it's not time for you to be present uh, on our campus, and that is so okay. Um, in fact, we know that things are blowing up in Merced, and we are really, um, we are having the service this weekend outdoors, but we are also going to postpone um, the next time we do that for another month, because things are so crazy in Merced. I mean, um, almost 70 deaths um, in just this last week, over 700 new infections. So we want you to be safe. And so we wanted to keep our word, have that outdoor service, uh, and let you know that we are working hard so we can, as a church, be together, either virtually uh, be together in small groups, virtually be together, uh, or in small gatherings, or when appropriate and safe in larger gatherings as well. So just know that it is our heart to support you, meet you where you are. So thank you for tuning in today. I've got a credible um, gift I want to give you today in today's passage. As we look today at Luke chapter 11, verses 14 through 28, uh, I've titled today's message, you know, our overarching uh, theme is God's journey for me, God's journey for you. Today, I believe God's journey for us is to recognize that we need to align our house with his. We need to align our house with his. The key verse is verse 17 in our text. You'll hear me say it often uh, in our message today. Let me read it for you. It says, Jesus knew, knew their thoughts and said to them, any, any kingdom divided against itself will come to ruin, and any house divided against itself will fall. That's going to be the key verse of our text. And really the, the concept that Jesus is wanting to get across to those who were listening to him on this day, uh, recorded by Luke in Luke chapter 11, just after he shares with his disciples how to pray, is basically a principle that he's giving in response to a problem that he is seeing. And I want us today to recognize that whenever we look carefully at something, we will see something deeper. Looking carefully enables us to see more clearly. And so I'm going to ask you today to look at this text with me to see something more clear about what Jesus wants to tell us, what he wanted to tell them, what he wants to tell us about the problem of opposition, the problem about opposition in our lives. And when opposition is in our life, we need something to help us to stand firm, to see clearly, to move boldly to have compassion, to be all that we need to be in moving forward, we've got to look carefully so we can see clearly. So let's look at this passage. Verse 14 starts out right after Jesus teaches his disciples to pray and gives them an understanding of what kingdom prayer looks like. I want you to think about that, what kingdom prayer looks like. Remember, just kind of a quick recap of that prayer. Jesus says, you know, pray, my kingdom come, my kingdom. He wants us to recognize with the kingdom of God comes, we can experience amazing benefits in that kingdom. 
Kingdom prayer is a prayer that ushers in a new relationship with this heavenly father that loves us and cares for us. And that kind of kingdom prayer directed to a God that loves us has, is packed with benefits. And so the, the little prayer that Jesus taught his disciples, and there's a slight variation between Luke's variation of this and Matthew's, but, but listen to the familiarity of that and look at the benefits. He says, my, my kingdom come. Matthew says, my will be done. Luke tells us that, that ask, give us today our daily bread. It's a, it's a benefit of provision. Um, forgive us our debts or forgive us our sins as we forgive those who've sinned against us. That's filled with a provision of purpose. Always kingdom prayer is about the purpose of not just God having resources to meet our daily needs, promise of provision, but also a promise of purpose. The purposes of God are always wrapped around forgiveness, always wrapped around reconciliation. And so the king, this kingdom benefit is one of provision, one of purpose, and also one of protection. He says, uh, do not lead us into temptation, Matthew adds, but deliver us from evil. That's protection. He says, when I'm praying and connecting with God well, it's packed with benefits, a benefit of provision, give us our daily bread, packed with purpose, forgiveness comes into me so it can flow through me to others. That's purpose. A benefit of protection. Do not lead us into temptation, but deliver us, deliver us from evil. And then that, Jesus wraps up that whole concept of prayer by talking about this amazing God that, that we, should, we should have confidence in, that this God not only wants to provide for us, not only wants to give us purpose, not only wants to protect us, but wants to take possession of us. Then we would take possession of him. And he says, you being evil know how to give good gifts to your children. How much more will the Heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? A beautiful, beautiful prayer. So as we think about this kingdom prayer, we now look at a text because we're asking, we're seeing in the prayer, your kingdom come. We see the kingdom come. Then he shifts and shows us what his kingdom comes up against. It comes up against opposition. And if you're going to follow Jesus, sooner or later, you're going to experience opposition to your faith. But all of us, when we experience opposition, something destabilizes in us. We lose our bearings. We feel vulnerable when we face opposition. But something in the midst of the problem of opposition, and whether you're facing it with your family or with your work or with your job or with your own mental health, wherever you're facing opposition right now, there's something that can stabilize you. And that's the gift Jesus gives us today. Let's look and see. Verse 14, Jesus was driving out a demon that was mute. When the demon left, the man who had been mute spoke, and the crowds were amazed. But some of them said, by Beelzebul, the prince of demons, he's driving out demons. Others tested him by asking for a sign from heaven. Jesus knew their thoughts and said to them, any kingdom divided against itself will be ruined, and any house divided against itself will fall. If Satan is divided against himself, how can his kingdom stand? I say this because you claim I drive out demons by Beelzebul. Now, if I drive out demons by Beelzebul, 
by whom do your followers drive them out? So then they will be your judges. But I drive, but if I drive out demons by the finger of God, the kingdom of God has come upon you. When a strong man, fully armed, guards his own house, his possessions are safe. But when someone stronger attacks and overpowers him, he takes away the armor in which the man trusted and divides up his plunder. Whoever is not with me is against me, and whoever does not gather with me scatters. When an impure spirit comes out of a person, it goes through arid places seeking rest and does not find it. Then it says, I will return to the house I left. When it arrives, it finds the house swept clean and put in order. Then it goes and takes seven other spirits more wicked than itself, and they go in and live there. And the final condition of that person is worse than the first. As Jesus was saying these things, a woman in the crowd called out, Blessed is the mother who gave you birth and nursed you. He replied, Blessed rather are those who hear the word of God and obey it. Okay, I want us to look carefully till we can see clearly. So um, think with me a little bit. Let's, let's take a look at what I'm calling the overarching problem. The overarching problem is we see Jesus, you know, just give his disciples an understanding of how to see his kingdom come. Now he gives them a feel of what his kingdom is going to come up against. The overarching move of the Gospel of Luke, it started in chapter, chapter 9 where Jesus turns and starts to move now towards Jerusalem. Because in Jesus' mind, he is moving. Remember, we saw the Mount of Transfiguration and the conversation about his departure. The departure is on his mind. His crucifixion, his resurrection, his ascension is on his mind. And he's moving to that. And as he moves towards Jerusalem, opposition is on the rise. Opposition is mounting, mounting around him. And Jesus turns from this moment of, of you know, amazing moment of of prayer training with his disciples to a moment of casting out a demon. And the demon and the man possessed by the demon are not the major, major scene. It's what kicks off an interaction with those around him. And there's a crowd around him that see it. But sprinkled through that crowd are the religious leaders, the Pharisees and the Sadducees, the teachers of the law, the experts, all those who had been testing him, accusing him, uh, trying to find fault with him. All of them are there. And the conversation is going to turn right directly toward them. And so we see, um, as we look at what happens, Jesus delivers this man from a demon uh, that kept him speechless. Basically, this man's human house had become occupied by an evil spirit. This man's human house had become occupied by an evil spirit. All of us are vulnerable to a similar problem. I'm going to look at several aspects of, of demonic activity today and just kind of touch on that a little bit. But what this little episode shows us is that evil is alive and well. It was alive and well then, and it's alive and well now. The manifestation it takes may be different, but evil is still present. And all of us are subject to being deceived by the evil one. All of us are subject to have the enemy, Satan, who's the accuser of those who follow God, loves to accuse us. 
And we're going to see accusations rise out of this interaction. But Satan loves to distract. He loves to divide. He loves to try to conquer. He loves, he loves to kill, steal, and destroy. And we see Jesus being in juxtaposition, his goodwill, his good kingdom, his working for the benefit to release captives. Remember? Chapter 4, when Jesus read from Isaiah, that he says, The Spirit of the Lord is on me to proclaim good news to the poor, to set prisoners free, to give sight to the blind, and to release the oppressed. He, Jesus is on the move, and he's doing exactly that, and he's going to come up against opposition time and time again that wants to hold back the kingdom of God, but it cannot be held back. In this challenge, as we look closely, what we see are different responses to what Jesus does. He delivers this man, and what happens? Well, the man, first of all, he accepts it, right? He's been delivered. He accepts this kingdom message. He accepts this touch from God. But the crowd, on the other hand, they're amazed. It says, the crowd was amazed. They're like, oh my gosh, look at what he's doing. I kind of liken the crowd to, to a lot of us that, that may be driving on, on 99 and we see an accident um, and, and, and we slow down, not because they've stopped traffic or they've slowed traffic, but we want to look and see. We're kind of looky-loos. Oh my gosh, what happened? There were a lot of looky-loos that wanted to check out, what's he doing now? And they were amazed. Um, then we have those rise out of the crowd and say, but what he's doing is he's casting out demons by Beelzebul. They use a little phrase. It was um, recorded in 2 Kings chapter 1. This, this Beelzebul or Baal, is the, Baal means Lord, and it was the, it was, uh, the God, um, a God back in the Old Testament that, that pagan nations worshipped. Um, Beelzebul, Zebul is flies, and Beelzebul is house. So there's, there's differing interpretations of which it is in this text. But we see this Lord of the flies or this Lord of the house is basically a term ascribed to the prince of demons, Satan himself. And so they say he's casting out demons by, by Satan, by the devil himself. And so he's, he's accused. Opposition can come in a lot of different forms. He's accused. And then he's tested. But others want to test him. And they're not trying to test him in terms of, uh, hey, hey, Lord, we want, to, we want to test our faith in you. We want to test what you can do for us. And so they want to manipulate him. That manipulation, whenever you feel manipulated by somebody, whenever you feel constantly tested by somebody, and I remind you that just a few weeks ago, we looked at, Jesus' interaction with the expert in the law, whose whole conversation was built around his desire to test Jesus. Whenever you're feeling tested by those around you, it doesn't come across as a friendly encouragement, as a way to build you up or to uh, strengthen you. It comes across as a way to try to catch you in some mistake. And that was exactly what they were wanting to do. You see, the opposition, what we see is the opposition is on the rise differing responses to Jesus. We see the problem. Jesus knew their thoughts, knowing their thoughts. He knew what they were saying, 
He's casting out demons by, by a demon. He knew what they were saying. We want a sign. Give us a bigger sign from heaven. But he knows their thoughts, meaning he knew the motivation behind the words. He knew the motivation, that his motive, their motivation was coming against him, to try to catch him in an air. Jesus was facing opposition. And from this point on, in the Gospel of Luke, we are going to see more and more and more opposition. It happened to Jesus, it's going to happen to us. I don't know if this is a season where opposition is, is uh, intense for you, or if it's minor for you, but I know the more you have opposition, the closer to where you are, the more fragile we become. Jesus wants us to understand that not only is opposition on the rise, Luke wants us to understand in our text, not only that opposition is on the rise, but the size of opposition comes in various forms. Opposition is on the rise, but the size of opposition comes in various forms. I want to give you give you four different aspects about opposition. The first one is the text gives us insight about demonic activity and literally that there can be demon possession. That's what this, this man had. His house had become possessed by a demon. Um, I can't even imagine what that must be like to have demon possession. For the believer, we know if Jesus is in our house, a demon cannot occupy this house, but it doesn't mean there's not going to be demon um, oppression. Some of us, maybe fighting depression or fighting an addictive behavior, might be experiencing a very significant oppression by the enemy because Satan has a goal, and his goal is never to unite. It's always to divide. Satan wants to do it, and the method he'll use is deception, and so he wants to deceive us. He always wants to twist the truth. He always wants to distort what we know about God. He's always trying to work his way in, never to unite us, always to divide us. And I would, I would wager to say that the more you experience division in your own house, the more fragile you are. I you know, I, I know that so oftentimes, so often in times, I can be out and I might experience what I think is some level of opposition from someone or something. But if I go home and, and my wife embraces me and she uh, speaks words of encouragement to me and our families all together on, on being united, uh, I can handle it. I can so handle whatever's going on out there as long as what's going on in my own house is pulled together and we're on the same page. There's this fable uh, by Aesop because the principle that we see in this text is clearly one that, that echoes the, the refrain of the Old Testament, um, you know, the Old Testament prophet and the Old Testament conqueror and leader, Joshua, in Joshua 24, 15, when, when he's talking about talking to the people and saying, I don't know who you're going to serve, but as for me, me and my house, we're going to serve the Lord. You see, part of what God wants you and I to understand is in times of opposition, what we need more than anything is somewhere to be united, because if we're not united, we will be divided. If we are not united, we'll be divided. Aesop's fable is about, one of his fables is about a four oxen and a lion. 
And the four oxen were repeatedly harassed by this lion, but they would put their tails together and they would form a box. And their horns would keep that lion away and at bay, no matter from which angle he came at them. One day, the four oxen had a dispute and they become disgruntled with one another. And they become, became vitriolic with each other and constantly battering against one another and fighting against one another. Well, th that fighting and that acrimony and that dissension in their ranks caused the oxen to separate. And they went to their own four corners of the pasture. And one by one, the lion picked them off. No longer were they united. No longer could they stand. And divided, they fell. That little phrase echoes the sentiment of Joshua. As for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. That principle, the principle that rises out of this text, is really not only what Jesus affirms, but what our nation, what our nation even, even proclaimed early on, even prior to the revolution. Uh, one of the early, early fathers, John Dickinson, wrote a little pre-revolutionary song that said, united we stand, divided we fall. You see, it's true not only of a nation. Jesus says it's true of a kingdom. It's also true of a house. And it's also true of a church. United we stand, divided we fall. The problem is opposition will rise, oftentimes from places you don't expect it. Sometimes opposition even rises from within our own spirit. That man on that day with demon possession, opposition was inside of him and Jesus delivered him. Opposition can rise in a family when there's an oppression, when there's a dissension, when there's an argument, when there's an unhealed wound that continues to fester and not receive the right healing touch of Jesus. I don't know where you are these days with opposition, but undoubtedly you know what it feels like to have opposition in your life from somewhere. Maybe opposition, I hope not, but maybe you feel opposition even at the closest connection within your own family. More than ever, the church needs to be your family, if that's the case. We need, we need one another. We need a place where we can go, whether that's a virtual place or a physical place. We need a place we can go and know United we stand, and divided we fall, and therefore we shall not be divided. Jesus wants us to recognize what does it take to, to align my house with his house. Oftentimes, in ancient cultures, a kingdom was referred to as the house of. So in scripture, we see over and over, the house of David. What do they say? The house of King David. It was his kingdom, his house. That's what Jesus is saying. My kingdom, my house, couldn't stand. I think it's interesting that, that Jesus even says, basically, the devil knows that. Even as he's confronted with this idea, and the reason he says this point about a kingdom divided and a house divided is because you say that I cast out demons by demons. Even Satan knows you wouldn't do that. Even your own followers know you wouldn't do that. Even history tells us you wouldn't do that. What does history tell us? When Jesus uses the phrase, the finger of God, um, if I cast out demons by the finger of God, that's a powerful little phrase that means uh, not necessarily a lot to us, but it meant a lot to them. 
Contextually, when you hear, when you see something in the context of Scripture, we want to look at the, t- the context of the passage, but we also want to look at the context of the cultural. There's textual context and there's cultural context. So much of this passage has cultural context, things that we only understand if we understand the culture in which it's spoken. As soon as Jesus said that, these leaders that have just spoken up against him would hear from Moses. Moses recorded in Exodus chapter 8, verse 19, that Pharaoh's magicians were so amazed by the miraculous power that was coming through Moses that they said, Moses does this through the finger of God. They would also liken this phrase to not only what Moses does through the miracles to deliver the children of Israel, but also the finger of God etching the Ten Commandments on the two stone tablets so Moses could not only give deliverance from their bondage, but direction for their life. God wants to do the same thing for us. He wants to move in us to deliver us from whatever is possessing us or oppressing us or dividing us. He wants to give deliverance to those things so he can give direction for our lives. The direction that we see in the passage is Jesus' solution to this problem. And it's built around the principle, this principle that united we stand, divided we fall. The principle has a benefit. The principle is this, is that when I align my house with his, I experience his blessing. When I align my house with his, when I'm united with who Jesus is and his mission and his purposes and his call in my life, there's stability that rises up within me and blessing in that stability. Let's see where the blessing takes place. Let's see how Jesus wants us to align ourselves with himself, how he wants us to be united. If my house my personal house of my spirit, my personal house of my intentions, me, and if my house, my family, if we're going to be united, the first thing we have to do is accept his authority. I have to accept his authority. When Jesus says, but I drive out demons by the finger of God, then the the kingdom of God has come upon you. Then Jesus gives a parable. When a strong man, fully armed, guards his own house, his possessions are safe. But when someone stronger attacks and overpowers him and takes away his armor in which the man tested and drives out and divides up his plunder. The parable that Jesus gives, we see it here as well. Also, we see it um, in Mark chapter 3. We see this parable. And remember what a parable is. Parable is a story that gives us a window from which to look and see a larger reality. Parables, Jesus gives 55 parables in the Gospels. Luke has 18 that are unique just to his gospel. A parable always gives a a, a picture, it's a story, that creates a window from which we can look in and see a larger reality. And this reality that Jesus gives us is that Satan is the strong man. Mark tells us that if you don't bind the strong man, you're not going to get him out of the house. Satan is a strong man, and whenever Satan wants to do, he wants to hold on to it. But there's a stronger man, and Jesus is the stronger man. You see, no matter who you and I are in ourselves, in our own flesh, in our own authority, on what we can do, there's going to 
we're going to come across somebody stronger. We're going to come across something stronger. And so if you're trying to build your house on your authority, <laughs> it's just a matter of time and something stronger is going to get you. Maybe the thing that's stronger right now is the addictive behavior you keep thinking you can keep hidden. Is the addictive behavior you think you can get a handle on. Maybe it's your own self-improvement project that you're thinking, if I, I, can get my, I can get my house in order. And that's not working very good for you because you keep coming up against opposition. Sometimes it's opposition from without and sometimes it's opposition from within. God wants you to know that you've got to come to a place where you resolve in your own heart and mind, I am not going to trust in my authority. I'm going to trust in his. The man who was delivered on this day had made that decision to accept the authority of Christ. I've got to come to that place where I'm no longer trying to be my own authority, but I'm accepting his authority. You see, opposition comes in so many different ways. We see this in this text. We see the crowd that's amazed but unfazed, right? They're, 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 not, they're, they're, they're parked in neutral. And the danger with neutral is that when you're in neutral, you don't stand still. You slide backwards. God wants us to get out of neutral and get in gear. That means I've got to accept his authority. They accused him. And I don't know about you, but I know that whenever I'm being accused, it's not long before I'm feeling abused. And if you want to abuse a relationship, accuse a relationship. Maybe that's the opposition you're, you're feeling. And you need a higher authority, someone stronger to give you a sense of protection. Jesus says, let me be that authority. Let me come in. You see, they were committed to be testing Jesus instead of accepting Jesus. God wants us to recognize that we have to come to a place where we look clearly at what's going on and see, am I making him king or am I still wanting to be king? <laughs> Under this point, I just want to point out, don't try to be king. Don't try to be your own king. I think we're all vulnerable to that. Remember Disney's Lion King? I gotta love Disney, right? I love Simba. Simba, this enthusiastic little, little lion cub. He can hardly wait. I just can't wait to be king. I love his little song. I'm gonna be the main event like no king was before. I'm brushing up on looking down and working on my roar. Oh, I just can't wait to be king. No one to say, do this no one to say, be there. No one to say, stop that. No one to say, look here. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to run around all day. I'm going to do things my way. Oh, I just can't wait to be king. I think we are a little bit like Simba. We just can't wait to be king. We just can't wait to have it our way. You know, you and I have got to come to a place where we say, I just can't wait to let him be king. I just can't wait to, to get out of the way and step into the way of God so I can sense there is someone stronger than all my demons. There's someone stronger than all my addictions. There's someone stronger than all my obsessions. I can't wait to let Jesus be king the first thing you and I have to do to align our house with his is accept his kingdom and accept him as our ultimate authority to let him 
reign in the house of our heart. The second thing is, is to align ourselves with his mission. Is to align ourselves with his mission. When Jesus says, uh, whoever is not with me is against me. And whoever does not gather, scatters. The Message Bible says it like this. This is war. There's no neutral ground. What you and I have to make a commitment to is not to be a distracted follower. That's what he's challenging. He's challenging those in the crowd. He's challenging those and he's looking. I, I love it that, that it focuses in on knowing their thoughts. Jesus is pointing this comment at the Pharisees, at the religious leaders, at the experts in the law and saying, if you're not, if you're not with me, you're against me. And if you're not helping gather, you're scattering. He's saying, don't, the don't here, right? Don't try to be king and don't be a distracted follower. More than ever, you and I have got to focus. In this season, don't let the opposition of a virus keep you from the mighty, the mighty amazing work of God that he wants to do in us and through us. God wants to be giving you the provision to meet your needs, the Lord's Prayer. He wants to give you the he wants to give you the, the purpose of being an agent of forgiveness. He wants to give you the protection of recognizing where you're vulnerable to temptation and delivering you from evil. And he wants to take possession by filling you with the Spirit. God wants to do that. Number three is exactly that. Be filled with his presence. Be filled with his presence. The thing that jumped out at me as I was, as I was looking and seeing what was happening in this text was the continual... Um, insertion of house. First we see a man whose physical house is possessed by a demon and Jesus frees him, frees his human house of that demonic, demonic oppression. Then we see Jesus give this challenge to those who are challenging him. He says to them, if a strong man, fully armed, guards his house, right? That when Satan is, is messing with your house, he's going to try to, he's going to try to protect his chaos. You need a stronger person to come in to deliver you, to deliver you from your addiction, to deliver you from your materialism, to deliver you from your uh, criticism, to deliver you from the accusations, to deliver you from whatever is holding you back and tearing you apart, whatever is dividing you that's not uniting you. You need deliverance. And then he talks about that when this demon wants to come back, maybe, maybe your own self-improvement project, you've kind of cleaned up your house. But what does he say? When the demons, they'll, they'll look around. If they can't find a place, they'll come back and find the house clean, swept, tidy. But what, what does it say? It says a house that has been swept clean and made tidy, but is empty. You see, what God wants us to recognize is exactly what he told his disciples in the, in the prayer that he taught them. Is your heavenly father loves you. And he wants to take possession of you. He wants you to be possessed by him. That means I've got to ask myself, what's filling me? It doesn't matter how clean you've tried to clean up your life. If you're not filling your heart and filling your thoughts with, with the presence and purposes of God, something else is going to come in and the end could be worse than the beginning. God wants you and I to recognize if I'm going to align my house with his, that means accepting his authority. That means aligning with his mission. That means being filled with his presence. God wants us to not just recognize that if we want blessing, 
It's going to come because we've made space in our heart and mind and home for Him to reign. We've made space in our heart and mind and home for Him to reign. When I accept His authority, when I align with His mission, when I am filled with His presence, don't let your mind and your heart stay sit empty. The last one is to obey his word. I, I love this. Jesus does this. And a woman from the crowd says, Oh, blessed is the mother who gave you birth. Right? Uh, in those days, oftentimes, if you wanted to bless someone, you, you wanted to bless their mother. Uh, your mama is wonderful, right? And for us, we're the same way, right? You want to get under somebody's skin, criticize their mom, right? You want to bless someone, tell them what amazing mother you have. You must have had a great mother because you've turned out so well, right? It was a way of blessing. And Jesus turns that blessing and says, blessed rather are those who hear my word and obey it. We've heard this little phrase several times now in the Gospel of Luke. Several times, Jesus has said exactly this. Blessed rather are those who hear my words and obey it. You see, if I'm going to align my house to his, obedience better be in the train. Obedience better be on the move. When I know what to obey, I better not delay. That's what he's saying. When you know what is obedience, what's the right choice here? When you know what, what or how to obey, don't delay that. Seize that opportunity. Why? Because when you obey, what does it do? It unites your spirit with His. Because united, you stand. Divided, you fall. This is the time for our church. Not to be divided, but to be united. Not to polarize ourselves on the perspective of, of how bad is COVID or, or is COVID a myth? To recognize now's not the time to be divided. Now's the time to be united. The reason that we are going to delay another service for a month is because your safety is our concern. Because we have this amazing ability through technology to, I can come right into your home. I hope that you join me this week. I've got so much more to share from this passage that I want to give you every day another piece of how to be united and not divided. I want to build you up and not tear you down. I want to clear, I want to help you look so you can see clearly how God wants us to live in this season. So for you and for I, for you and for me, for us, let's be united. Let's lift up the name of Jesus. Let's gather in our homes and have watch parties. Let's meet together on Zoom and other platforms where we can connect and relate and support, and let's lift him up. Jesus said, if I be lifted up, I will draw all men to himself. So you and I, we've got a mission to be on. And that mission is to lift up the name of Christ. That mission is to stand shoulder to shoulder, back to back, being that, that wonderful collection of people that says, no matter who's against me, I know who's for me. And God said, no matter who's against you, I am for you. When I know in my heart's home that he is for me, it doesn't matter who's against me. It doesn't matter what the opposition says because I know what my king has said. And I've decided in this heart, he's going to reign. In your heart, who have you decided to let reign? If you would just 
agree with me in prayer because we are on a journey and we don't know how long this COVID journey is going to last, but we can know how we're going to stand against it. We're going to stand united, not divided. We don't know how long the challenges of maybe unemployment or whatever, whatever struggle you're having, maybe because someone's ill in your family, because maybe because you fear you're going to get, get the virus, maybe because you don't know if you'll find work. I don't know what you're standing against, but I know you can stand against almost anything when you're united and not divided. Heavenly Father, let us serve one another. Lord, let us serve you. Lord, let us stand arm in arm and hand in hand, united and not divided, because you have called us be one in your kingdom, to serve you and love you. And Lord, that we do. And Lord, for those families and those individuals who feel divided in some way, shape, and form, I pray, Lord, for a community, a small group community, a Zoom community, a Facebook community, uh, maybe an in-person, safe distance community, Lord, where they, they discover more love waiting than they knew was possibly there. They discover more support than they could ever dream of. They find greater acceptance than they can even imagine. And they start discovering that when they are united as the body of Christ, we cannot be divided. Ephesians chapter four, verse three says, make every effort to keep the unity of the spirit through the bond of peace. Lord, we commit ourselves to that. And we open our hearts and say, deliver us from evil. Fill us with your presence. In Jesus' mighty name, we ask all these things. Amen. God bless you. So good to be with you today. Um, stay tuned in. Stay with me this week as we unpack more beautiful nuggets from this great text. I'll see you soon. Hey, YC, Pastor Matt here. I am super excited to be able to say hello uh, this weekend and give you a little report as to what we're doing with our live services. Um, so we all want to meet together. That's the bottom line. We're excited to be able to do that this weekend for the first time. Um, and we're going to do it in limited numbers. It's going to be 175 people. If you're not aware of it, we did online registration through our app and through the website. We're gonna be doing that again on September 13th, about three weeks from now. Uh, so stay tuned for that and make sure that you go on and register. We're gonna do more than one service, which will be nice because we'll be able to accommodate more people. Uh, you might be asking, well, why aren't we doing that every single week? Why aren't we gonna be outside every single week? Well, working with the, the public health department and making sure that we are giving ample space and time for everyone to be healthy. Um, bottom line is here at YC, we cannot guarantee anyone's safety. And we want to make sure that we are being responsible with the time that we're gathering together. Um, let's just say as a scenario, we meet on Sunday and then we find out that someone was either infected with COVID um, or we find out a week later that something like that was going on. We wanted to make sure that at the outset that we're giving time for quarantine and for healthy measures to be taken. We are very closely tied with the hospital. We have lots of people that work there. I know that we have a second floor that's opened up to uh, treat COVID cases. And uh, so this is definitely something that we need to be responsible with and aware of. 
So if you can be praying with us as uh, leaders, as believers in Christ, especially for those that are sick, uh, that they would recover quickly and well. And uh, that, that gives you just a little idea as to our heart uh, as a church and as leadership. We want to be sure that everyone has an opportunity to, to come and worship the Lord together and at the same time give everyone uh, an assurance that we're doing our level best to protect the health and the wellness of every person. Have a great weekend and a wonderful week. We'll talk to you soon. Thanks. Thank you.